from the last chapter in the epistle of Paul to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I Unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Onto the Galatians written from Rome. Let's bow in the word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, again, thou hast given us a day that we can truly say is beautiful, a day that reminds us of thy love towards mankind. It reminds us, Father, of thy loving kindness and how thy mercy still is prevalent in our time, though we see the days growing darker. And it is that mercy, Father, that calls us yet today. We see how thou hast expressed thy love in the form of thy Son, 
And in him thou hast reconciled the world unto thyself, that all men may have a relationship with thee, or have the opportunity to do so upon their choosing. And today, Father, we declare thee, the living God, to all mankind through thy word that is before us, that each of us, Father, may look upon thy word and see ourselves the way thou seest us. And in that revelation, we may decide to avail ourselves of the grace that is available to us and that we may make the choice, Father, to step forward and to choose Thee. And for us, Father, who believe in Thee and have already embraced Jesus Christ and have been born again, we pray that that same promise of the Spirit living in us, that the life of Christ may be lived out in us, may be true, that it may be said, Father, that each of us who claim to be Christians may be like Christ in all manner of our conversation, in the way we are, to the core. And so, Father, we pray that this day also, as we have come to thy word collectively as a body, that the body may be edified by what each joint supplies to each other. We pray, Father, that as we allow thy spirit to speak to us this morning, we may be willing to heed to the things that we learn about ourselves, that we may be willing, Father, to die to ourselves, to take the cross daily and to follow Jesus and to be imitators, to be imitators of thy Son. Father in heaven, we know that this is good for us and we come for this purpose. We don't come, Lord, to simply socialize Thou knowest, Lord, that this is, this is not for us simply a time of getting together among people that think like us, but this is a time where there is a special blessing where two or three are gathered. Thou will be in our midst, and thou and thy Father will make an abode with us. And so we believe that thou, Lord, and thy Son, Jesus Christ, unto whom we pray, will abide with us this day and will impart upon us a special blessing. But we are mindful, Lord, of those who are hindered. They cannot be here for health reasons. We pray that thou would bless them as well and lift them up and encourage them to understand thy will in their lives and the power of thy grace and the reality of it. We pray, Father, for those that are hindered for other reasons or may have chosen not to be here. We pray, Father, that thou would also seek them out and to bless them and reach them. We pray, Father, for where thy word is preached on the face of this globe, that it be done in truth, in fear, in spirit. Lord, that thy will may be proclaimed to man, and man may yet not have any excuse, for they will know thy truth. We know, Father, that thy, near, thy coming is, is nearing every day. And while we do not know exactly when it is, we are called to be prepared and to make man known of this time that is to come. And so give us grace, Father, and reveal to us thy will. And the things that we already know to do, remind us, Father, that we may fulfill them. And now, Lord, we ask thee as we look into thy word this morning and pray for a blessing that thou would speak and work through thy servant to be able to provide us with the meat in, in due season 
as we need it today. For this we ask of thee in Jesus' name. Amen. passage we've read together in the, in the Galatians concludes a, a book where Paul is writing to one of the first churches he started in Galatia. And they had their struggles. Uh, kind of we see him referring to that by the end of the chapter where there those who came out from Jerusalem and said, you've, you've got to follow all the rules all the Jewish law, in order to be saved and wanted to add to the death of Christ additional uh, requirements, including, we see here, that of being circumcised. And so most of this book is, is, is addressing this question of, of what Jesus requires of us, of the of Mount Sinai versus Mount Horeb of the two covenants. But he begins talking about what do you do? What do we do as brothers and sisters when we see someone overtaken in a fault? <clears throat> says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, if you see someone who has slipped, they are struggling with some kind of spiritual weakness. It may be sin. It may be a character flaw. It may be something that you see they need help with. They may not even be seeing it. It says, You who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This chapter gives us a picture, especially when we look at the following verse where it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, where we are to be a community. We are to have rich and deep relationships with each other. And there are cases where people have needs. They may have physical needs. They may have health needs, and they may have spiritual needs. And in each case, we see a dual responsibility. It talks here about how everyone should bear their own burden, how everyone should be uh, responsible for themselves, and how we are also responsible for each other. And that that is shown not only in the meeting of physical needs, but a spiritual as well. And what it's talking about, how do we help each other spiritually, it's talking about something that's very difficult that I think most people don't enjoy, which is having that straightforward, honest, heart-to-heart discussion with someone and helping them see where they have been overtaken in a fault. If you're a parent, you know that discipline is one of the most challenging parts of being a parent. Knowing 
what to say, when to say, uh, knowing you're going to get a reaction, knowing that there will be uh, often hurt feelings, uh, there will often be um, a rupture in the relationship, and having, having to have confidence that as we consistently show love, that we can even when we chastise, even when we apply discipline to help restore our children, we need to have the confidence that they will come around and that it's worth the reaction, the um, potential anger, the hurt, in order to see them come through and be healthy on the other side. We, we can understand that physically. We know that you know, you know, I had a splinter, uh, you know, on the camping trip, and, you know, it was painful to hold the paddle, and if I go to Brother Eckert, and he has his safety pin there that he's always provided, and, yeah, it's going to hurt while he digs in there. But if once it's out, you know, my hand can heal. If I leave it there, it festers, and it's, you know, I, I have more pain in the long run. And that was a trivial example. How much more when we've allowed perhaps some lies of Satan to, to, to start to be embedded in our thinking? And that starts to fester. That starts to poison the way we see God, the way we see each other, uh, our own outlook. <clears throat> so the first responsibility we have here which may not be the first we think of, is to be able to tell each other the truth. Now, it, it lays some requirements about doing this. It says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. So it requires that you are close to God. Sometimes there are those who actually enjoy the process of correcting others. It might make them feel superior when they can point out where you are doing something wrong and they're doing it better. And we may have all, I, I see some smiles where you perhaps can think of a personal example where someone does that. And that uh, certainly is not going to have the intended effect. <clears throat> uh, and that's why the spirit of meekness is important. That it's not about showing that we're better than someone else. That our goal, as we read in Matthew 18, is to, to, to gain our brother and sister. You know, as it should be for, with our children, is to, to help them become healthy and whole again. Not to perhaps vent our frustration. Not to... Um, do things in a spirit of pride. When we restore someone, when we correct someone, there is a temptation. There is that temptation to, to feel that you are in some way uh, better than the person you're helping. But nothing is going to make your approach less effective than when people see that they're being treated as not only less than or perhaps a project, that you are going to exercise your skills as a spiritual doctor on 
to, to improve someone when they feel that they are not really being approached and valued as we should, for example, value our children when we want to restore them. So we need to consider ourselves lest we also be tempted. There's a temptation to pride. There's a temptation to judgmentalism where we can start to to notice all the faults in others and and, uh, become critical. There's a temptation even that when we see and we become involved with others and we hear their thinking which might, you know, maybe it's self-pity, maybe it's justifying this sin or that sin. We say, oh, well, you know, we start to see things the wrong way because these are lies. These are lies that Satan is using to corrupt people's minds. And when we are helping them, we need to make sure we're not infected with those lies, that way of thinking. The Bible speaks in Jude of, of, of... of rescuing those in the fire and hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So, so we, we want to rescue the person, but we don't want to be infected with the problem itself, which is why we need to be vigilant. So the Scripture is telling us, yes, we need to get involved. It's not as, as is common today and perhaps in our capitalistic society and definitely in our individual-centered society where this whole idea of us being responsible for the community is totally, you know, diminished. Uh, We have responsibility to pay our taxes, and after that, it's the government's responsibility to take care of other people. And we can put our old people in old home, age homes and the sick people in hospitals and, and uh, there's insurance companies and there's, there's, there's infrastructure that takes care of it and we just focus on our own lives. And we want the maximum freedom to do what we please. And we don't want that freedom to be infringed on by having to worry about other people. And that seems to be the general thought of society where the individual is what's important. Mm. Um, yesterday, uh, Zarko and I were, went out to, to a Mennonite f- furniture store. I needed to purchase something, and, and rather than being Mennonites who served us, it was actually a Catholic and two Mormons, but the, the, the secretary uh, was talking about her Mennonite uh, employer <clears throat> and was explaining some things about him and and what uh, commitment they had he had to the community he said yeah he came in late the other day and uh i asked where he was he was at a funeral <clears throat> and uh well do, who was it well i don't really know him very well so what were you doing at the funeral oh i was digging the grave well why were you doing that oh, you know, we believe the community brings us into this world, supports us, and we help them, you know, right through to the end. And then she shared a story that really stuck with me, that really illustrates this idea of bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? Jesus said, I give to you a new law, that you love one another as I have loved you. And if you keep that law of love, that all the law and prophets are fulfilled in that, all these requirements that these Judaizers want to impose their religion on the people of Galatia, 
are more than fulfilled if we can fulfill the law of Christ that we love one another sacrificially as we can measure Jesus Christ. As we, we sang together in the psalm about that we ought to, to be willing to lay down our lives even for one another. A, a young seeking soul said he was so impressed with that verse in the scripture that says that this is true love if we are willing to lay down our lives one for another. As Jesus showed. So uh, she shared the story that uh, there was uh, uh, a family, uh, nine, not, it was either nine children or 11 children. I wasn't sure if it was nine plus two or there was 11 children. And they were, lived about an hour away from their closest neighbor and, and they had gone to church. And by the time they had come back from church, their house had burned to the ground. And what was so impressive was that by Tuesday, the drywall was up. And by Thursday, they had moved back into their nine-bedroom, new nine-bedroom home that had been built from scratch by the community. I thought that was a very impressive example of, of living out the law of Christ, where we can truly count on each other at the time, at the time of need, that we know that we can depend on one another to rally around and to meet those needs. And we're not depending on the secular infrastructure and all the, the, the rules and, and how we become under the power of the government and a, in the process, but we can really depend on the law of the love of Christ in each other's hearts to that kind of extent where it can be a witness to the world that we do have Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know ye are my disciples if ye have love one towards another. And not just a love that, that uh, uh, First John talks about, you know, depart, be warmed, and be filled, where it's just words where you wish people well, but that we love each other in deed and in truth, where we actually put these things to action and make sacrifices because that's the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wasn't just wringing his hands in heaven saying, oh, it's too bad about these people who have sinned and they've separated themselves from me. And I see that uh, by themselves, there's no way they're going to be able to become free from this bondage of sin. Well, you know, but they did it to themselves. They made those choices. They made their bed. They have to live in it. That's not Jesus' thinking towards us. And I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't leave us to bear our own burdens when we had no hope, but that he was willing to take those burdens on himself, quite literally taking on the sin of each and every one of us, taking on the, the burden we could not bear to give us this new hope, we, we cannot express the, 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 the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. He understood what it meant to live in perfect community. He, the Father, and the Spirit for eternity past, being in that perfect oneness, he desires that for us. And that's what he's saying in John 15. He says, and in, in the 17th chapter as well there, where he's expressing, you know, that you may be one, 
even as I and the Father is one, that you may be one in me and in each other. This is the difference, that there are those who, who, who want to um, create a utopian community that you know, may lay down here, wouldn't it be nice if we could all share and we could all help each other and we could all work together, but they try to do so based on their human reason. We've seen the failed experiment of communism where, where religion was considered to be the opiate of the people and where they could, based on, uh, on just being organized and working together, they could build the, the final evolved society. And it wasn't that it was a bad goal. It was that it was done without God and without a transformation of the human heart, without changing our inner nature to be unselfish. See, that's how you can tell if God is working in your heart. You can tell your barometer of, of, of Christ-likeness by how selfish you truly are. What you think of just building yourself versus what you think of building each other up, of bearing one another's burdens, of, of being a servant as the Lord who, 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 who stripped down to the towel he was wearing and, and washed the dirty feet of the disciples despite saying, I am your Lord and Master. And you say, well. But he said that, you know, if you want to be great, if you want to be like Jesus, we need to learn to serve we know there are burdens. We each have burdens. And those burdens are not all bad. Those burdens help us to grow. They help us to, to become stronger, to become more like Jesus. In our, again, referring to our, our, our uh, trip together with the young men last weekend, it was it was difficult. It was very challenging. Uh, and to be honest, I didn't think I was going to make it to the end of those first few portages. <clears throat> and I was so thankful for those who had made it through, who were young and strong, who came back and helped lift that burden that I was stumbling under and brought it through to the end. And I think by the end of that trip, you could see, despite this being way too difficult for many of us to be able to do on our own, that we began to, to be a, a body, that we began to work together because it was so challenging, so stripped of, of, of comfort and distractions where we needed to share one another's burdens in order to be able to to, uh, to get through and to persevere, to endure to the end. And there became a closer unity. Again, yesterday, uh, Zarko and I were working on some, some gravel that we had put down as a, as, as a foundation, and, and you put down this loose gravel, and you just step on it, it squishes out of shape, and, 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 and you know, it's loose. 
But as we put a weight on it and we compacted it, and, and as that weight pushed things together until it becomes as strong as a single stone due to the weight that it's been under. And as we, we may complain about the burdens that we're bearing that may be too much for us, but God has put us together so that the burden that you're bearing, you don't need to bear alone. We know that our Lord has promised that he will help bear it with us. But he's also put us in a body where we can share that weight and where we can bear one another's burdens and be a light on a hill that this watching world can see that there is a place where Jesus' love is alive, not just in the beautiful words that come from the pulpit, but in the lives lived among its followers. Now, there's always opportunity for abuse. Again, looking at the failed system of communism, there was a problem that people could say, well, you know, it's the government's responsibility. I no longer take ownership. And, you know, I'll do my minimum and I can count on, you know, the socialist state taking care of all my needs. And you may have those, and the scripture talks about those too, that, that were busybodies, that went around from house to house and had a lot to say, but didn't actually do much and didn't carry their weight and just kind of relied on, on the church to, to take care of them. So the scripture has words to say to everyone here, saying let everyone prove their own work to test it. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. We, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not as a body. It's not the apostolic Christian church that will stand before Christ and be evaluated on that day. It will be you as an individual. And so your work will be proved, will be tested that day. And the scripture talks about how, how some things that we do will be burned up like stubble and wood and hay. Whereas some things, when they pass through that fire of testing on that day, that judgment day, will shine like purified gold or precious stones and be more precious still to the Lord. And so everyone should bear their own burden. <clears throat> so the scripture speaks to our hearts. Yes, we are responsible for ourselves. Yes, we need to stand before God and be accountable. But one of the things we're accountable for is not only being responsible and being diligent with, with what God has given us, but for how Christ-like we have been towards one another. This is our heritage, as we've kind of referred to the Anabaptist heritage of a close-knit community. But it's not an automatic it's not something that will pass from generation to generation automatically. Just because our forefathers had a close-knit community doesn't mean we're going to have one today. That's going to require sacrifice on the part of every one of us. We may have challenges they didn't have. We may have distances and commuting and traffic. 
We may have pressures and, and uh, time, uh, things distracting our time. We also have technology and ability to, to, to drive and call and communicate. And so we may have different challenges and different resources, but the bottom line is, is the love of Christ in our hearts, one toward another. <clears throat> Are we, like him, unselfish? Or do we just seek to rejoice in our own work and let the other sink because it makes us look good? For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Scripture talks about not being deceived. And the individual who thinks that they, have, they are a self-made man or woman who can... Uh, I remember having a, a conversation with, with a, a so-called uh, atheist or agnostic, and he was, he was almost proud of the fact that he had no one to forgive him. Proud that he stood alone, didn't have the crutch of religion and faith and community. But to me, that is so sad. So sad that we think that we can stand alone because we know that alone we will fall. And that is Satan's desire that each one of us feels alone. And sometimes it can be that. Sometimes the distance we feel one from another is in our own heads. That Satan would like us to feel that no one understands, no one cares. And why don't they help me? But meanwhile, I won't tell anybody what my problems are. And I won't share my needs. They should figure it out. <clears throat> I remember a song that really touched me. It was a prayer, the song that's saying, let me be a servant. Let me be like Christ to you. And then it says, and let me have the grace to let you be a servant to me as well. It goes both ways. We need the humility to receive as well as to give. We need the unselfishness to share and also the humility to request help. <clears throat> Scripture talks about another way of being deceived in verse 7. A very simple, straightforward message I think those in kindergarten are starting to understand, hopefully. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. He's not fooled. You can't uh, pull one over him. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What are we investing in? We may understand the principle. The principle is obvious. Whatever you invest in, that's what goes. Where your focus goes, your energy flows, and that's what grows. We understand the idea that the things that we spend our time and our focus and our energy in, that's the things that are going to grow in our lives. Now, if we're going to focus on the things of this world, then it's going to grow, but it will 
grow into corruption. It will become something that will not be a blessing to us. Something that will even bring heartache. Something that will end up being a a destructive force in our lives, in our families' lives, in our church's life. There's different parts of the flesh. The scripture talks about the, 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 the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And, and we can see some things that are obvious. As we might indulge in physical pleasure, we can see how, how destructive that is to us. You know, the extremes of substance abuse to perhaps the more socially acceptable, you know, we might abuse even food. Or we may, you know, indulge in materialism where the idea is that, you know, when I buy something, I feel good because I have something. And there's this, this euphoria that they can even measure in your, your brain as, as you get again this, this, this short-lived, temporary satisfaction of having stuff. But yet, in the long run, we certainly see physical pleasure, how that becomes physically corrupting how people destroy their bodies as they invest in the things that will make them feel good now and reap in the long run. I don't have to give you the the medical science. Everyone knows about it. And the same is true of the material things. may not be as so obvious, certainly not so well reported in the media, but the scripture clearly talks about when we, we have much, we have much worry, much headache, that the, the person who is rich can only eat so much, but yet he has to worry. And he has only the pleasure of watching other people benefit from his riches, but uh, he doesn't sleep as well at night. Ecclesiastes can tell you about that. And, and Paul tells you, too, that those that, that want to be rich pierce themselves through with many lusts. And, 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 and uh, there's, there's trouble that comes with that. And we certainly can, can see that the more you have, the more you have to worry about. And there's also other ways of sowing to the flesh. The scripture here talks in the the remaining part about uh, a part of sowing the flesh you may not think of as being fleshly. It's saying that many desire to make a fair show in the flesh. They constrain you to be circumcised. So these people that came from Jerusalem they wanted to impose a certain outward religious form. And they felt a certain satisfaction, a certain pride, a certain elitism, a certain feeling better than other people because there was a conformance to this outward religious requirements. And that was not spiritual. He calls this about the flesh. This is again sowing to the flesh. So we're not talking about indulgent sin. We're not talking about uh, being covetous and following the idol of material prosperity that is going to also corrupt us. We're talking about religious, about wanting to, to follow more rules and feeling perhaps that in the following of these rules, we are somehow better than our neighbor, and that we can contribute to our own salvation, and that it is through the following of these things that that we can have some self-confidence. 
And so even in this um, good living, even in this following of laws that even came from the Word of God, the motivation was fleshly. The motivation was that he that thinketh he is something when he is nothing deceiveth himself. When we think that we can have confidence in the flesh, in our being good, in following rules that we can look down on others for not following, and let's be frank and honest, brothers and sisters, we are thankful that we have a godly heritage where we have uh, been more careful than others in not allowing certain things in our midst, and maybe we've had higher standards than other Christians. But we do not want to take confidence in that. We do not want to be judgmental about that, that we think we are better. Because then we may think we're doing godly things, but really we're sowing to the flesh. In feeling that in our exclusive community that we are better than the neighbor, it's really our pride that's being fed. And Jesus was, had the harshest words to say to the Pharisees of his day. <clears throat> we don't want to be in that group. They were doing this. They didn't want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ because the other Jews were, the, the greatest persecution in that first generation came from other Jews. So it's not like they're keeping the whole law of God, but they want to have you conform to their set of rules, which isn't really the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God, so that they can glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, Paul said. I should boast, that I should be proud, that I should think I am somebody. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom... The world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. What is your boast? Who are you? If someone comes up to you and say, who are you? Something that we spend some time thinking about this summer. What will you say? I am, you know, this profession. I am, uh, I am uh, this role. I am a father, I'm a mother, I'm a <clears throat> computer programmer, I'm a mechanic, I'm a... What, what's your identity? You know, what do you feel defines you? And here we say our glory, our definition, and the thing that we feel gives us value is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the fact that you were loved by God. That God sent His Son to die for you. That you are so precious to Him. That you don't have to glory in either your physical assets, your uh, spiritual uh, religious attainments, but rather in the adoptive position of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. By who? The world is crucified unto you. This is going to make a decision. We can't just have a cleaned up version of this world's goals where we, we pursue 
wealth and prosperity and comfort within certain Christian parameters. But rather, the, these desires are, are, we're dead to them. We pursue something entirely. We are a new creature. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, no outward religious thing availeth. It doesn't do you any good, nor uncircumcision, or the flaunting of religious rules and saying, I'm true and free and I am myself, right? But a new creature. When you are a new creature, when God creates a new person in you, then you know that this is the operation of God. This is God working in you. We're so thankful we had night after night those who shared their testimonies. And, and the common theme was, I did not change myself. God changed me. I can't explain it. But there was definitely a change, and others could testify, yeah, I saw a change in this person. He's a new creature. And that's not to the glory of that person. It was God who did it. And that's what you can glory in. Look at the mercy God has shown me. Look what Jesus Christ has done for me. Look what the Spirit is doing in me. And the evidence of that will be following the law of God. When we sow to the Spirit, when we invest in our relationship with God, and we reap in that not corruption, but life everlasting. <clears throat> so let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There are times where we felt like giving up, but we needed to endure to the end, and we wanted to challenge these young men that they learn about endurance, because the Scripture promises salvation to those churches that endure to the end, they shall be saved. But we can't faint. We studied how Hebrews 12 talks about becoming faint in your mind. It's, your body may be weak. We know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we need in our minds not to become weak and to give up and to continue to persevere and to do good and to let Christ work in us to bless others, God will give us opportunity. Of course, primarily to those, that, the household of faith, but to all men. We don't want to become an exclusive group either where we are suspicious of anyone who is not following our external norms. God wants us to be a blessing to all, that the love of God is visible in how we treat each other, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus came to the lost people of Israel. He primarily missed them, but his hope, his, his message, his light went to the whole world, as ours should also. <clears throat> Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We have a high calling. It's not one that we can do in our own flesh. We need to rest in what Christ has done for us, and we need to work in the power and the grace that God gives us to reflect Christ in our words and actions towards one another. And for those who do not know that grace, I challenge you to become a new creature. I challenge you to let the cross crucify the world that's only going to bring you corruption. If 
you look at it, that's all you're going to reap from all that you invest in the things of this world. Instead, become dead to the things that will only bring you down. And instead, allow Christ to make a new creature where there is true joy, peace, and love, and everlasting life, that we can reap everlasting life of him. May the Lord bless these words. Hymn number, hymn number 69, the first and fourth verses. Dear Father in heaven, we bow on our knees and we adore thee. Thou art perfect. Everything that do, thou doest is right and just and true. All thy works are glorify thy name, dear Father. We are as nothing before thee. We acknowledge this. Thou art so high above us and we are just nothing. But dear Father, what amazes us the most is that thou art love and that thou in love dost extend thyself down to us. Dear Father, truly this magnifies thy grace and thy glory so much more when we realize that it is love that has compelled thy son Jesus Christ to come down here and to sacrifice himself, to give up of himself in everything that he did here below and what he is doing now at thy right hand interceding for us dear father we are speechless when we consider this and when we consider ourselves and how little we've done to deserve this and how little we continue to do many times and as we fall short of this high calling to to become like thee dear father we ask for grace we know it's been given to us in christ jesus but we wish to have this grace applied to our lives those that confess thy name uh, and those that, that don't confess thy name yet. Dear Father, help that grace to work in us and transform and make new those things that need to be made new. Dear Father, we're so thankful for the, the bond of love that we can have in Christ and that that bond is in eternity, will last in eternity and it goes generations past and, and as long as that will tarry, it will it will survive. Help us to be in that bond of love, to not be outside of it, not to do actions that would remove us from that bond of love, but to do actions and to strive uh, to be uh, those people that would be exemplified, that would exemplify thy love. Dear Father, we're thankful for the message of hope today that we've heard, the, uh, the message of encouragement, of instruction, that we do need to be careful for each other and to care for each other and, and not to be indifferent or to be callous, but to realize that uh, we do have a responsibility in Christ because of Christ and what he has done. And help us all to realize, too, that we can't take that for granted, that we need to be open and be vulnerable, too, and that we cannot remain as closed-off beings, but we need to be open in order to experience that love. Dear Father, we're thankful for this day, and we ask that its blessings would uh, continue throughout the rest of this day and through the rest of this week. Thou knowest we do need this strengthening uh, for the week that is ahead, for, for as much time as thou wouldst give us, that we need to carry this word in our hearts, that we need to let it dwell in our minds and so that we may be changed by it. Dear Father, we're mindful of, of those that are going through difficult times, that have burdens that they think they cannot bear. Be with them, dear Father. Uphold them by thy hand. Help them to know that they're not alone. And use us too as 
as forgetful as we are, as, as negligent sometimes as we are, use us, impel us by thy grace and by the, thy Holy Spirit as he reminds us to, to help carry those burdens of those that are struggling. Because each one does have a burden and we need to seek that out and find what it is. Dear Father, we're thankful for the message. We pray for those that are seeking, those that do desire thy transforming work in their life. Help them to know that it is thy working and thou, that, that thou dost do this uh, by thy grace alone, but it is as we submit ourselves and as we obey thy word that thou dost change us. Dear Father, we're thankful uh, for a beautiful day and for this beautiful time of year too, dear Father. And we don't wish to take this for granted too. And remember when the, the cold days come and the, the dark days that we have had this enjoyable time and that everything is in its place in time and the seasons turn by thy hand. Uh, encourage us there too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Number 279 is our concluding hymn. Two hundred and thirteen.
The happiest day of many people's lives is, of course, the day they give their lives to the Lord. The second happiest often is the day they get married. And if you think about that day, that's a day not when your options are multiplied, but your options become limited. When you commit to one and one alone to be faithful and true and to invest and cherish, cherish and nurture. Today's society might want to tell you, be free, do your own thing, be answerable to no one, enjoy for yourself. Self, selfishness becomes a virtue. But we see that selfishness ends up becoming alone, dried up, shriveled, and very depressing. The scripture invites you to give up that which will not satisfy, the pursuing of your own flawed plans with your own flawed logic and ability to see, and to become one, to be crucified to the world and to enter into a new life, a rich life of community, communion with God and with each other on a level you cannot imagine. That invitation goes out to everyone here. May the Lord bless his word.